0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, We're back here for another Heart Podcast. And I have Jessica visiting me today. We are going to talk about the family aspect of transplant. And we're going to get into some of the deep questions and deep answers. This is going to be a series. So we're going to do a few of these. One of the things that's been brought up to me several times is about what people can expect coming into transplant. So that's exactly what we're going to try and get into today. I'd like to thank TM Electric. I'd like to thank um, my donor. I'd like to send a special shout out to Ali Neff and uh, thank her for all her great work while she was here. And I hope she enjoys the rest of her days in, in heaven. God bless her for being a, uh, a true inspiration. And... Jessica will be here in a minute and we will get into this conversation about family, kids and some of the stresses and some of the rewards of heart transplant. Use this.
1: Okay, I think we're good.
0: Are we back on? Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that, everybody. Um, Anyway, we're back. Okay. So. We'd like to you know, thank T&M Electric again. They they just got us a new set of headphones so we could have two people on here. And um, I think we closed off with uh, speaking about Allie and her family. And Shoot for the Vitals has got their tournament coming up. That's March 8th. And then we have Transplant Games, February 28th, uh, that weekend. And that is, yeah, the 28th, 29th, March 1st. Um, So like I said, I'm going to try and get down there if I can. Uh, It sounds like a lot of fun and it's close to home. And one of these days, I just got to make it to one of these Olympics. Okay, so let's get into this. So one of the things that has come up, um, I was down visiting a buddy of mine in Toronto and we were talking, he's had a heart transplant and he had a he had a stroke, so wasn't able to drive, so we, um, something to do with the control on his left side, something to do with his vision and in his, and his one eye won't allow him to, to drive or whatever, I don't know, for whatever reason. And uh, we didn't really get into it because he doesn't care. So, you know, Toronto's set up and, you know, you can pretty much get anywhere. I think he takes the GO train to his appointments and he does this, he does that. His, his wife's a nurse. Now, his wife's a nurse, and she mentioned to me about the lack of knowledge or warning information coming into transplant, and that's fair. I've talked to quite a few families, but what we're going to do is we're going to start off and we're going to have a bit of a conversation with Jessica here about what's going on coming up to transplant. Good morning, Jessica.
1: Good morning, everybody.
0: So introduce yourself, Jessica. Let's find out who you are and what you're up to and and, uh, how much trouble you get in on a daily basis here.
1: (laughs) So yeah, my name is Jessica. I am 20 years old. I like to do fun things like quadding. I love quadding and I like hunting and I enjoy fishing very much. And in the summer, I love adventures. Um, and where do you work? I work for T and M Electric. Well, there you go. I am a second-year electrical apprentice.
0: Excellent. So in Canada, we actually have a Trades Act. So our apprentices, um, I'm a master electrician, and it's I just need that title in order to own the business and run the business and. Takeout out permits, Jessica, in order to register an apprentice with a company in Alberta and Ontario, you have to have a master electrician working for you. So I'm the master electrician. Jessica is going to complete, I don't know, how many hours?
1: Um, I believe it's 1300 for your first year. And then I think it's the same for second year. And then I'm pretty sure she has no idea what she's talking about right i'm now. pretty she's sure first um third and fourth it goes up to like
0: 1500 or something like oh, that Oh, okay so i think ontario used to be 9500 hours i think it's 6500 hours out here um but they have more multi-trade so you have an actual electrical you have actual instrumentation you have they have all sorts of different technicians and stuff like that um Whereas yeah, Ontario
1: has their own specific category. It's yeah. not mashed up like it is. Yeah, Ontario, you know,
0: places. I mean, it's we're kind of instrumentation electrical type of thing. So anyway, enough for beating a dead horse on that one. <laughs> um and how old were you when um I was I I think when things got serious with the, well, yeah, when things got serious about the transplant, we'll talk about the congestive heart failure stuff later. Cause that's a, that's a whole nother six episodes with all the stuff that we were up to with the transplant after. So, mm-hmm. um, or before transplant. So how old were you then? That was six years ago. So you would have been 14.
1: I think I was 12 or 13 because we had just come back from BC And I was only 13 or so at that time. Because I was still...
0: Well, it's 2014. It's 2020 now, and you're 20. You're going on 21, though.
1: I wasn't even in grade 9 yet, though, when you...
0: You just turned 20. Yeah. So, yeah, 13. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. there you go. 13 (laughs) days. That's what we're going to go with.
1: Yeah, because through the year of grade 9 was when I was when you got sick and
0: I was dealing with that yeah yeah when I was listed I was sick before that when I was actually in the hospital listed unlisted listed unlisted for transplant so we're just going to keep it to that December 4th till uh January 31st a little bit after we'll we'll keep that time frame for the For the midst of of this little series on preparing for transplant so um one of the things i think that we should discuss here is jessica and i have been um actively involved in sporting events before transplant during transplant after transplant Mm -hmm. okay um ringette soccer what else did we do? Field right, hockey, kind of.
1: field hockey, and then yeah. just anything I was doing for school.
0: Yeah. Um, A lot of truck time. Yeah. And um, Tyler was kind of before that. Tyler's my oldest. He was kind of before that. And at this particular point in time now, he's getting older. Um, and he's just playing rock'em, sock'em hockey at the time. So it was just basically fight club on, on ice. It was comical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had spent a bunch of time with him before that, but each one of the kids are four or five years apart. So they kind of, you know, you release one and you go to the next one. Just like Jessica's been released. Now I'm working with Lily. And uh, so in this case, we did a lot, of, a lot of things together. I mean, Jessica, how much time do we spend in the truck every week, driving around a different...
1: Well, I think in the winter time we'd have probably two practices for field hockey a week, and we'd also have one ring at practice plus a game a week. Yeah. And to forest and back, it's an hour, and wherever field hockey was, it could be an hour to three hours. So. Yeah. And that it's just depending on the week too, and even on weekends, some days you're going like during tryouts, you're going to Cambridge, you're going to Waterloo, you're going to...
0: Yeah, that was for the double AA, eh? we went everywhere. Yeah,
1: And it was, it got to the point where you do so much and you're doing so much driving and stuff like that, you're like, when was the last time I was even home? Yeah,
0: yeah, so that, and Jessica sleeps half the time she's in the truck, so let's keep that in mind too. <laughs> um, so now let's head in, so December 4th, going to the hospital, uh, we had just finished a weekend. We are celebrating my grandfather's 90th birthday. And I didn't really get through the weekend. Um, so that was the sign. That was it. And that LVAD installed before that. I've had, no, sorry, not LVAD. Uh, two defibrillators. The second defibrillator was installed in like September we went to nationals, I think, in October. It could have been August, September, or September, October. And I think it was the plane ride back from BC that pretty much sealed the the casket on that one. Pardon the expression. Um, December fourth, went in the hospital. Now, here's where it starts to get a little sketchy. So, when I went in. To the hospital i don't even know if you're gonna remember any of this like i went in i was supposed to get lvad Uh, do you remember why i didn't get the lvad right away
1: um no not really i remember visiting you in the hospital right um, like briefly a couple times but
0: how much information do you remember getting
1: um not it wasn't mom never said to us like hey this is exactly what's going on with dad and you as well were never like hey this is exactly what's going on it was like
0: it was designed that way yeah folks by it, the way it because, was more
1: so yeah. i'm not feeling very good and we have to get these things done so i can feel better and it's gonna take this amount of time yeah and then it would be but don't worry about me keep doing what you're doing like make sure you make it to school and, you know, make it to your practices and stuff like that. It was never like... You never... You guys never made it seem like it was more than it was. You always made it seem like... It kind of like when someone's like, oh, like, I just have a cold. Like, don't worry about me. That's what you guys made it seem like to us. So I don't think I was... I understood just how bad it really was. Right. But I, like... I knew that you had to move slow because you had to catch your breath and stuff like that. Yeah and I knew that we had our diet restrictions. so we always ate where you needed to go. Yeah and it kind but I was so used to it by that point that I didn't care at all. Like I knew the places we'd go to eat. I knew the uh, what speed we walked. I knew that sometimes if we're going up the stairs, You know, let me carry your bag and I'll meet you at the top kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's... There's a lot of... There's a lot of sacrifices, folks. That you're going to find... You're going to make. And I think that develops... Into the stress of... You know, depending on what your lead-up time is to transplant that that's a definite development of stress because all of a sudden now the person gets a transplant and then it's a whole new can of whoop ass basically is what happens after so um let's try and go back let's try and pick through your memory here a bit now this could be a little on and off here a little bit so um bear with us i mean this is a like i said this is a transplant podcast this is what what i'm trying to do is is get families to understand what's going on here. So bear with us a bit as we kind of go back and forth and, and, and try and figure out certain things. But, um, so do you remember seeing me in hospital, let's say after I got LVAT, first operation? Yeah. And what was that like?
1: Um, I think at the time looking at you. Okay, so dad had a surgery, you know. He's going to be a little bit different.
0: Did you know what the surgery was?
1: You you only ever called it LVAD. You said I got Elvad put in or right. stuff like that. You and I you probably a couple times did explain it to me just so I'd understand, but I I don't really remember. Right. It was a really long time ago. Yeah. But
0: and we kept him in the dark folks in a lot of cases there was a lot of visits that were postponed or changed or transferred just because of um issues yeah. lots of issues anyway carry on so um what did what did they tell like what did anybody tell you about what Elvad was
1: um like we never had doctors or nurses explained to us what was going on. We never ever talked to them. So it wasn't like you're not getting like an educational response at like the age of 10 or 12 when your dad goes in for surgery. It was more so mom saying to us, "Um, don't worry, guys, like you're going to go hang out at um, your auntie's house and you'll chill there for a while. And we're going to do this. But dad's gonna be fine. Don't even worry about it. He's gonna be good. It's just gonna be a quick thing. And even you would say, it's not. It's not a big deal. Like it, it's really easy to do. Um, like you don't have to worry about it at all. It's yeah. pretty much what you would say to us each time that you had to go in to get something done.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and again, that was designed that way from from the beginning because some of the stuff that. What was supposed to be a pretty easy trek at the beginning actually turned out to be um, nobody's fault, but what actually turned out to be false. We were gonna have a a, a heck of a ride, and we wanted to keep it as, as simple as possible. Now, let's move let's move ahead a little bit. So I have the Elvad. Um, as you guys, I'm sure you guys knew, I was trying to get out of hospital as quickly as possible. Um, you had some field hockey national practice stuff coming up and, and that sort of thing. And uh, it was going to be in Toronto.
1: I think when you first got your LVAD as well, we were going to go see Mama. Um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, I think right when you first got your LVAD.
0: Mama had passed away by the time I was in LVAD. Are you sure? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me, okay. Well, the I remember
1: you being sick and us trying to go visit and you were, that's when your, like your diet and stuff changed. That's like briefly in my, it's kind of yeah, mixed up, but I'm trying my yeah. best to. No,
0: no, that's cool. That's congestive heart failure. And that, see, see, that's another thing when, when you're laying in the bed, you tend to remember most of this stuff. And then my wife remembers a lot more and then she'll fill me in on certain things. But when it comes to the kids, there's certain things that they remember. And I think that's where it becomes important to, um, I I think if they were the same age and I had to do it again, I don't think I'd change anything. Um, Because I, I think that there was a lot of stuff going on when it came to my transplant, they just didn't need to know. But what Jessica was talking about there was, when I first went into the hospital with congestive heart failure, my mom had, who had had melanoma. I'm going to say for six years. I don't remember exactly. Had melanoma cancer. Her cancer was getting the better of her, and um, she, I, we had, we were visiting my mom in the hospital. Now, my mom died in May fourth, two
1: thousand
0: nine, I think. Two thousand nine, two thousand ten, give or take. Um, it's eleven. It's about eleven years ago. So yeah, two thousand and nine. Um, she died in May, and that's where the kids. I mean, they kind of put the two things together because then there was a, a four and a half year transition from congestive heart failure to the requirement of a heart transplant. Okay, so um, I had LVAD LVAD plugged which all of a sudden put me back into CVICU and you guys started visiting again. Do you remember anything about that?
1: Yeah, I remember a couple of times when we came to visit. Um, there was actually one time I was sitting on next to your bed and I actually fell asleep with my head on your bed while I was sitting in the chair and I woke up. And my neck has never been so sore in my life. Right. <laughs> but I was like, oh, it was worth it. Like I got to take a quick nap with dad. Um, Cause you weren't really moving around at that point. I don't remember going for walks or anything like we did in, um, in Toronto.
0: No, and and Elvad. After I had the heart attacks at Elvad, that's when everything started seriously going downhill. So, um, when we were looking at that particular part of time, there's a pretty short period of time there. About six days, I'm thinking five or six days, maybe seven days between. Me having the heart attacks. Now the kids weren't there when I had the heart attacks. And I don't think that they were there for a bit longer because I'm pretty sure that everybody was back in our hometown.
1: I so we were there right before though. Was yeah, I would have been there
0: before because I was planning on getting out. So I think yeah. you guys came and visited. I had just got off the phone with but anyway, let's I digress mm-hmm. on that. Let's we'll try and stay on topic <laughs> for once with me. Um now, I remember, okay, you guys came in uh, Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. and do you remember anything about Christmas Eve or Christmas Day?
1: Um, I remember on Christmas Eve, or maybe it was even the 23rd, um, we were all sitting at the dinner table, and we were, and it might have just been Tyler and I and then our cousins yeah sitting down
0: so this is Christmas Eve
1: yeah and then mom comes up and she, and I nan might have been there too or she was
0: no Nan was after
1: okay yeah, yeah. so mom says to us man um, have...
0: is is my wife's mom yeah <laughs> so that's Nan um, mama is my mom but my mom's passed Nan is still here okay sorry
1: yeah um, Mom comes into the dining room and she says, "I have to go right now." Like dad, so I I don't remember exactly what she said, but something had happened with dad. She needed to go right then, and we had to stay at the house just because it was an emergency. And so in my head, I'm like, "Oh no, you got to be kidding me!" Like not not now. It cannot be now because we. I I made you that um board for Christmas with all the pictures on it and I was so excited to give it to you (laughs) and we had like a little Christmas tree for you in your room yeah that was
0: Ali made that right my cousin Ali made me this Christmas tree it was cool
1: it was really cute and but I remember and like just in my head I'm going through all the things that are happening and I just kind of like shut down and and even Tyler he was like I could see it in his face like the shock And so we went into one of the bedrooms and we kind of sat down for a while. And um, my my second cousin, Kaylee, comes into the room and she, you know, said a prayer with us and then said, like, God has his intentions and there's lots of people, especially Mama, watching over him right now. Like, whatever happens, happens, but it's going to be for a reason.
0: Yeah. Now that particular part of the story there, that's actually Christmas Day. So that that's the two stories kind of combining because Christmas Day was when uh, everybody was over for dinner. I don't think everybody was there at Christmas Eve, were they?
1: Um, because Mom it was, had to leave was during the,
0: Christmas dinner.
1: Yeah, it was on the twenty fourth or the twenty fifth. But um,
0: Kelly is Kelly is one of my uh, kid. Obviously, it's my first cousin, but Kelly received a bunch. Uh, uh, that was my mom's goddaughter and that was really important to my mom. My mom had a lot of faith, a lot of faith. And um, Kaylee would always get an angel from my mom at Christmas. Okay, because because that was Kaylee's godmother. That's why Kaylee came into the room. Uh, Kaylee's a complete different soul. Uh, this kid has a real real deep soul she's really really something um f- she's gonna be uh, in my opinion she's gonna be a fantastic mother um i really she's she's just a ball of wax all positive in an excellent way and she was one of the cousins came in and you know said this prayer with this kids and all that sort of stuff Now that was christmas day christmas Eve was when I was getting into declauding and it was still pretty serious so you know when Jessica's saying well I want to give my dad this gift on Christmas day that was iffy at best at this particular point in time the Christmas day was even worse but yeah I made it so okay yeah so keep sorry I'm just trying to keep everything straight for everybody out there keep talking yeah
1: and yeah, because so, I, I don't remember everything um, 100%. Like, I'm doing my best to kind of put the memories together. I think that in the time, I was very, um, like, stressed out almost. As mm-hmm. someone who's young and doesn't know what's going on with their parents, and there's – everyone is asking you um, – certain things like how do you feel like what are you thinking and stuff like that but I don't think I could ever really come up with a proper answer as to like how really was I feeling and I think um, even Kaylee coming in that day I think that lifted a really big weight off of me I felt much much better afterwards even though there was still a lot of bad stuff going on I knew that you know, there's some there was people watching over you and if something happened then that's the intentions of Jesus and that's just what's gonna happen. And I think she kinda put that into perspective for me and it it, it helped me feel better knowing that as well. And yeah, but I think I think sometimes when I'm thinking of these events and I try and piece them together. In my head, I was stressed out. And sometimes when you get stressed, um, it can like mess up your memories and it, it makes certain things disappear. And I think that's kind of what happened because I'll remember really intricate details about what happened. And then I'll be missing a really long period of stuff. And then I'll have um, a couple events later on. And I'm like, how do I not remember that?
0: Yeah. And I just want to point out that that's a common issue with other parents that I've talked to in regards to their kids that the kids are remembering certain things. If we get Tyler on here, he's going to, he's going to talk about remembering completely different things than what Jessica's remembering. And then at points you get them and they're, they're talking together about this and they're talking about that. And, they start to be able to string those events together. And like Lily, for the most part, I don't know if she remembers anything really to do with it. She's brought up a few things about it uh, only in the past couple of years as she kind of grows older, I guess, and maybe starts to accept it a bit or whatever. Um, I, not that it needs accepting, I guess, but as moving forward, where she's starting to recall different things. But, you know, I... So... Christmas Day, you guys came in, you gave me that. I got a great gift from Jessica. I got great gifts from everybody, but Jessica's the one on. So that's what I'm going to talk about when it comes to the gifts. So the great, I've got this great board with all these different pictures. It was an awesome collage. No idea where it went, which is a real bummer. It just absolutely disappeared. disappeared. Um, It just went into La La Land. And if you saw, I mean... My room with BIVAD and everything was jammed. There was no room for anything because I was in one of the small rooms and then I got moved to one of the bigger rooms. So there was a lot of, of uh, craziness there. And, and I mean, obviously it got misplaced. I don't remember. it. There are days, you know, spanned together that I don't remember anything. Um
1: I did though um, last year or the year before I replaced it with a photo album instead. Yeah,
0: which is cool. And I've got that. It's just up on my thing where where actually I've got some good photos since I, I need to put in there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, now, that brings up a kind of a an interesting point when we're talking about this. Because what I want everybody to try and remember here for a minute... When I woke up out of these surgeries, I literally woke up a few hours after my surgery. In some cases, my surgeons were putting me back to sleep because I was waking up so quickly. Now, that's a complete different case than when you have a parent who's three, four, five, six, two weeks, and they still haven't woken up yet. And I've talked to a couple of people about that, and that can be very, very daunting on the kids, because they are not seeing their parent move, or blink, or anything. They're just comatose healing. So that's another aspect of this, because again, I was young. I was 40 when I had my transplant, and I was, you know, 40 when I, had all these different operations so i was up quick i mean i was talking to these guys the day after these operations that makes a big difference oh yeah look see dad's okay he's up his eyes are open so we need to take that into consideration too and i think where this becomes important is when we went into the operations when we went into the hospital on december 4th basically we told the kids I was going to get an LVAD. I needed LVAD to bridge the transplant. And I was going to have this LVAD for three or four months and they were going to see how the pressures were. And then they were going to put me back on the transplant list. That's where we left the kids. And that's the information that we gave the kids. And at that particular point in time, that was more than enough. Now, all of a sudden, less than a month later, uh, dad's laying in bed with machines attached to him where technically by rights, you know, he's not going to get out of bed. I did. I started walking around. We started getting active again. Um, I think it's important as patients that we try and, and lead. Set a good example for our, our wife and kids. Let them know that we're fighting. I, I get it. If you can't, you can't. But in my case, that was I tried to make that a priority. There were other times, you know what? Yeah, when I was a little selfish and 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 I I let I let it get to me, um, and my wife took the brunt of that. Uh, but she's a she's a true fushnik for sure. She's tough. So, um, so after the bivad, do you remember anything after bivad?
1: Um, Coming bi-vad, in and see me. That's where the tubes come out. On my stomach. Yeah. Begin. That was hard to see. Right. Um. At first, I'm like, oh, this is, like, kind of neat, the how they do this. And then I'm thinking about it more and more, and I'm like, I'm scared to touch you. I'm scared to be around you. I'm scared to hug you before we leave. I'm The whole time I'm in there, I'm so anxious that I'm going to hit something and or touch a tube and stuff like that. Because you touch anything, and you yeah. could rip something out and hurt somebody. So the whole time we're in well, there, like, you, yeah. I don't know if I should be moving or anything
0: like that. Yeah, and I—I I mean, CIBCU down in in Toronto, the nurses are phenomenal, and you know they're they're generally really descriptive and all that sort of thing. But uh, they had their hands full with me because every—it seemed like almost every day there was something new popping up. And again, we're trying to downplay just how serious BVAD is with the kids because of their age and stuff, but. You know, you got these kids walking in, and now we have another timestamp, which is which is going to lead us into a, a a podcast in the future about just how much some of these kids get beat up by going through watching us do these operations. Okay, so um, what else about Bivad? Like, what else? About, what else did you think about?
1: Um, at that point in time you were like you had lost a lot of weight you were pretty skinny and it was you looked a lot different than you had first going into um the hospital and it was I think over time we saw you we were really lucky to see you pretty often like on the weekends maybe once during the week and stuff like that whenever we could get time off school um so it wasn't as drastic. Like if you go two weeks without seeing somebody and they lose twenty pounds, you're like, whoa! This they don't they don't look the same as they did before. And I remember seeing you a couple times and even looking at pictures um, from before. And I'm like, Dad was tiny. And I think that was really hard for me to see as well. And I remember going to Tim Hortons and getting Timbits for you to eat. Or going and getting, like, fries and a burger. And, like, you would nibble on a few pieces and stuff like that. But I think at the time, too, it was hard for you to eat. So we did the best that we could to give you little treats and stuff. But That's when
0: my stomach was full of blood. Yeah. And uh, we had a major issue with the with the blood filling up the stomach. So, okay, carry on. Um,
1: yeah. And I think... We... I got to go to like we would visit you in Toronto then we'd drive back to Goderich and we would continue on going to school and stuff like that so it wasn't on my mind 24-7 because I you know and then field hockey after school and then you know soccer at lunchtime whenever like that Um, I think if I hadn't been as busy and hadn't had as much going on I would have thought about it a lot more than I had and it probably would have taken more of a toll on my head. But I remember a couple times being in class and having to tell my teacher at the beginning of class, I'm going to have to step out at let's say 2:15 to call my mom cuz my dad's getting out of surgery, just for an example. Cuz there was a couple times where I did have to leave cuz I wanted I wanted to know how it went, what was going on and stuff like that. And at the time you couldn't have cell phones in class, so you had to get permission to go out. And then um, coming back in and my teachers would say, like, how's everything going? Are you good? Like, do you need a break? Um, well, two of them did. And that that helped a lot, too. Like, if I was in class and I was feeling really overwhelmed, I'd be able to go sit down, you know, go get a drink of water, come back, you know, gather my thoughts. Um, but, yeah, if, if I hadn't been so busy, it definitely would have.
0: Yeah, we did get a lot of support. From the high school in Goddard, uh, everybody top down, uh, including some of Jessica's coaches, you know, too, like um, uh, her field hockey soccer coach, Ray. He was excellent. Um, Mick from uh, Forest, uh, her single A coach. Then there was another coach out of London, her double A ringette coach. I'm so sorry that I forget your name right now. I apologize. That's a transplant thing.
1: <laughs> I don't think I remember. Um, either.
0: And he was an excellent coach, the great squad out there as well. Um, even the field hockey coach, Ed, and there was a couple other, you know, a couple other people out there as well that were, that were excellent. And, and they really, really add to the sport because what happens is, is mom's still trying to keep up with, with her daily life. And we also have issues with the fact that, um, the guy laying on the bed's busy, staying alive, literally. So there is information. And again, there's a lot of information being kept. There was times when people were coming to visit me, they weren't allowed to visit. You know, we would have that discussion in the morning when I would wake up and the nurse would say, okay, so how are we feeling today? No visitors. Okay, because we're going to fight today. So we're going to rest. We're going to fight. Um... And I'm going to talk about some of the, the joys of being in CVICU, uh, but that'll be a different podcast. So, um, Okay, so um, you... I lost a lot of weight in there. You saw me losing the weight. Any, what else? Any other memories?
1: Um, I think the bruises that you got from... Oh, yeah. The hemorrhaging and stuff like that. And then I remember um, you told us, you said, I might have to get... Certain parts like taken off, yes. Yeah. The hemorrhaging is getting really bad, and that was, I think, the first time that, um, other than seeing you with all of these machines hooked up to you, that was the first time I'm like, oh, this is really, really not good because <laughs> I'm like, dad's gonna have to get his whole arm taken off, or he's gonna have to. And I think, too, the worst things are playing through my mind, and I'm like, what how are we going to do the stuff that we used to do if dad's only got one arm? And of course that's not even the most drastic thing happening at the moment, but
0: no, but to a 12 or 13 year old, it is. Yeah. Right. So that's another thing too. Like that's another thing that I always like to, to talk about. Another thing I always like to, to remind everybody perspective is key. Okay. So I've had a conversations after the transplant and, and I've had it, I've had some some pretty heated discussions with with certain people about where everybody's perspective is at in regards to transplant, in regards to to life after transplant, life before transplant and what the kids go through. And I've had a lot of conversations like I said with different parents I've had conversations with kids and because I've had kids because I've I've coached a lot of kids, I've been very blessed I've been able to coach, so many different kids, so many different levels. I've been so lucky when it comes in regards of coaching and, and dealing with, with kids and parents and all that sort of stuff that, you know, I, I don't have any negative comments about any of the coaching that I've I've been involved in. And when push comes to shove, these kids have a complete different perspective than what a lot of these adults think they should have. And some of the stuff is downplayed quite a bit as well or altered like, well, I think that this is fair. Well, you're not 12. And we have to go back to that and we have to think about, hey, what was life like when we were 12 or the three-year-old who lost her blanket and basically the world has come to an end, mm-hmm. okay? That's another thing to take into perspective here when you're, when you're thinking about, you're dealing with your kids and you're dealing about their their memories and you're dealing about their different conversations remember that they don't understand what by is. they don't understand that you've got a mechanical pump on one side of your heart and tubes stuck into the other side of the heart and they're coming out of your body and there's a there's no in my case there was no way of getting out of that hospital without a transplant they they don't understand any of that and it's serious you know we have to remember that okay what else you got
1: um I think as well, the feelings that I was having, because we were so close, um, I like I didn't know, I would think in my head, what am I going to do if dad does pass away? Because I was trying to brace myself for it. Because there was a couple of times where I saw you and you were so sick. And I'm like, this might, this might be the last time I see dad. Or this might be the last time I see dad. And I would try and... And I, I felt guilty thinking about it, but I wanted to mentally prepare myself for something happen like that because I honestly didn't know what I would do. And I'm like, how do I carry on if I don't have dad? I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And then I think about like, I'm gonna have to help take care of Lily, and like, what's what's mom gonna do? And all these things would go through my head, going towards when you were really really sick and i'm like this like this makes no sense why did this happen to me like why did my family get chosen to have this really bad thing happen to them as i'm thinking of all these things that are going to happen and then i'd be like i'm like i'm like i'm not a good kid for thinking about what if my dad passes away and that would be another thing that would go through my head now not only am I stressed about my dad maybe dying, but then I feel guilty for even thinking the thoughts that, oh, my dad could die. And then other times too, I think even when it was time to go um, go do certain things like, oh, I needed like new clothes or stuff like that. I'm like, I feel guilty for asking because I don't want to bother anybody to have this stuff or if you needed help doing certain things. I'm like, I'll just figure it out myself because I don't want to bother anybody to have, to try and get them to help me because everyone has so much going on. I don't want to add to their burden kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and that's, and that's a pretty fair cause there everybody because that's not the only kid I've heard that from. And you know, um, I met, A fella roughly my age and his 18-year-old daughter asked me, I was lucky enough to visit this guy before he went in for his transplant, she literally asked me, hey, do you actually think my dad's going to live through this operation? I said, yeah. And think of the success rate of getting through the operation. I I think it's up at 97%. It's not making through the operation. It's the the year after. That's the hard part for the most part. Um, And in some cases, it's two years after, you know, you you look at certain friends of ours. But there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure because these kids, these kids, nobody teaches these kids how to deal with, uh, oh, hey, by the way, there's a, and let's put this into perspective. I did not stand a very good chance of getting out of the hospital. And there's still conversations that I have with people to this day. Like my dad, for instance, who never really comprehended the fact of how sick I was. Um, and, and I, I mean, I've downplayed it myself. I've had nurses say to me, no, no, sunshine, listen, you were this sick. And, and I don't even know if I still accept that to this day. So it's hard for the patient to explain anything to the kid when the kid or when the patient isn't accepting of the fact either, which worked out pretty good in this case because I'm pretty sure that's what got me through it. Yeah. Um, now, you know, there's after. After, you know, dad gets home mom gets home, auntie gets home, grandpa gets home, whatever it is. And you know, yeah, they've made it. But I'm so I'm wondering, like I know it's a long time ago, but I'm wondering, like what if somebody said to you, "Hey, let's let's sit down and let's talk about what could possibly happen because there is a chance that your father may not make it through. Is that, you know, I mean, is that something that we talk to our kids about? Is that something that we want to bring up to our kids? I have no idea. Do you remember?
1: I I remember um, saying to mom, like, is there somebody that we can talk to? Like, can we talk to somebody, like a therapist or something like that? And at the time, I didn't even fully understand what a job of a therapist was. Like, what they can do for you, what. Um, coping mechanisms they can provide and stuff like that. I understand more now because I've read about it and stuff like that. But um, there was never anything there for us to kind of like readily access. They never said oh if you go um, it would have been nice if they had an area where you could go sit down and talk to somebody during those times because even um, when we found out that you got your transplant, I couldn't even contain my thoughts for the entire three hour drive to Toronto. It, it felt like it was 25 minutes.
0: That's I got the news. They were actually on their way and, um, they were on their way to visit and I think it was another storm and,
1: oh yeah, we were driving through an awful snowstorm.
0: Yeah, which was every time they came down. Okay, just to throw that out there.
1: And mom usually, driving through snowstorms, mom did not like it and she would, you know, guys, I'm kind of a little bit uncomfortable right now. Like, we might have to do this. Mom did not say a thing the whole ride other than dad's going to get a heart. Dad's going to get a heart or stuff like that. Like, it was not I could not think of one negative thought the entire time it was like like thank you god for giving us this gift like there's literally nothing in the world right now that can make me any happier than dad coming home and then we get there we get to I'm pretty sure we got to see you
0: yeah oh yeah 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 because not only that but I was lucky enough I had my aunt Anne and then I had Gord Allie came from out of nowhere. I'm not sure where Allie came from, um, and Allie's another another one. She's just uh, just a little ball of bliss. Um, she there's I don't know. There's a whole bunch of positive things I could say about her, but we don't have enough time. And um, yeah, Gord was there. Um, Lynn was there, of course. Lynn and Gord being there is a whole complete different story about how that worked, that they happened to show up the one day that I found out I was getting my heart. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And was there, my aunt, Ann, who was, um, deserves a, a, a podcast all on her own, um, with the amount of help and support and everything that I received from, from aunt, Ann. um, and, you know, I had been up late and I had actually said to my wife that morning, Because I had been up all night. The guy beside me in the room next to me had been freaking out all night. The doors were open. I didn't sleep. I was beat up. And then all of a sudden, oh, we have a heart. And four hearts had already gone by. But I was taken off the list because I was so sick. So you can imagine the thoughts because my wife knew more than I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and
1: and I I remember um, mom saying to us because i said to her, I'm like i want to stay i want to be here when dad gets out and mom says no you're going back to the house and you're gonna hang out and i'll stay here and i remember thinking the whole time i'm like i hope mom's not lonely i hope mom you know has like a book to read or something like that like i hope she's not um or like she has a comfy place to sleep and stuff like that and then as well i'm like oh, I cannot wait to see that. I can't wait to see him stand up with his new heart. I can't wait to, you know, do this stuff with him. And again, we
0: were lucky. Sorry, (laughs) Mooch, I got to cut you off, but we were lucky because I, I think they came out and told my wife Jeannie that I had kind of woken up and they had to put me back to sleep, that the heart had started pumping right away. And, and, uh, Jessica keeps fidgeting with stuff. I used to call her a little fidgeter, and I think you can hear it. So now she's giving me the evil eye. Um, And uh, again, there was no holdup after I received the heart. So everybody was able to come in and see me right away the next day, I think. I don't remember the next day that much. But that would have been a lot different had there been complications or had there been this or had there been that. That's another thing we need to remember with these kids, everybody, is, uh, again, I got a pretty tight success story here. Um, a massive comeback, you know, if, if, as far as you look at, at, as, at comebacks go. Whereas there are a lot of kids out there that have waited weeks for their parents to come out of transplant or their loved one to come out of transplant. And, and, and those kids there, they need to be talked to. They need information. They need to be loved a little bit because I can imagine that was a very, very stressful time. So, yeah, go back to your story.
1: Yeah, and I was going to say, like, a funny thing, like, fast forward to two or not, like, however many weeks later, I, I uh, smoked dad right in the chest with a, oh. a soccer ball as we're warming up for a ringette. And I remember up standing there, and I'm like, I just killed Dad, yeah. and I'm crying, and I'm like having a nervous breakdown. I'm like,
0: he's gonna die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's funny. That's funny right there. But
1: you were wearing a really big, fluffy Calvin Klein coat, and it was. Uh, you're like, you like held your chest for a second. And you're like, no, I'm okay. It's fine. I'm yeah. Like, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, a couple months later, I actually wiped out on the ice playing ringette with the kids, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my wife said she almost had, a, had an aneurysm when she saw me go down on the ice. Actually, I think everybody on the ice stopped. <laughs> um, I got up and I'm like, I'm okay, I'm okay. Getting up I think was a little tough because my chest was a little raw. But um, Yeah, anything else?
1: Um, not, for this podcast, I don't think so. I think um, maybe for the next one we'll get into a little bit more like nitty gritty. Like really the deep, dark down stuff that you feel... As you're going through these things, because I, I think that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot as um, when you're going through something like this, how dark of a place it puts you in. Yeah. And I think that needs to have some some light shit on it. Yeah. Because it's very um, cotton candy, like sugar coated, like, oh, this beautiful thing happened where this person got better. Okay, well for the three months before that I wanted to set myself on fire. So (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I think that's that's pretty important too, folks, because the one of the reasons I started this podcast was I've had a few of the nurses down at CPICU and a couple other people tell me, you know what, you gotta write a book, you gotta write a book. Well listen, I don't have the attention span to write a book. But what I do have the attention span to do is talk. And when we're talking about these dark places and we're talking about coming out of these dark places and and we're talking about fighting and we're talking about bleeding and we're talking about finally being able to go to the bathroom four days after getting out of transplant and you having your first shower and you get to hug your kids again and they squeeze you a little bit it feels like your chest is going to cave in but you don't want to tell them because you can't believe that you're actually getting a chance to hug them again these are all the things that, that that i want to talk about because I think these are really, really important, not only for us, the recipients, and not only for the family of these recipients, but I mean, for the donors, families, to realize just how amazing this gift is and, and how important it is to us and how much of a difference it makes. Like I'm not even close to kidding. Um, How much of a difference it was going upstairs and being able to walk across, like, I mean, I have seen some transplant patients out there, man, they can do some stuff that just makes your head spin. But there's a road that's got a lot of ups and downs. It's like driving a Grand Prairie Street. I'm telling you right now, there are potholes everywhere and challenges. And that's, I want to bring that all to light here. And you know, I, I know that our, our following right now is, is, is minimal at best. And uh, we're going to leave some links in this one to, uh, to certain things. I want to, I want you guys to send me questions. I want you guys to send me your concerns. If I've said something or we said something on this podcast, you want me to expand on, send it to me and we'll expand on it. There is not a topic on here that I won't cover.
1: And yeah, I, th- I think another really important reason for this podcast too is there's a lot of questions that you need answers to that some people can't give you. Like there might be kids who are thinking the same things that I was thinking when you were sick and they don't know who to ask and they don't have you know the resources to, um, I don't know, like pay someone to talk to and stuff like that. And like I, I don't mind ever, you know, you need to figure out how to deal with stuff yeah, I'll answer any question you got. Like, I've been through it and I I having being an adult now and having so many years later. She's not an adult. Yes, I am. Okay. She is. <laughs> um I've learned how to deal with it and stuff like that. And for kids who are you know, 14, 15, you're you're going through a lot of stuff and your life is changing and you're figuring out, you know, how <laughs> How to be a person. And it's hard to throw in. Oh yeah by the way. One of your parents is really really sick. And they might not make it out. And. Even like school. Doesn't understand that. Um, Although they. They try their very best. They try their
0: very best. But let's just. The school. Is the school. Is the school. I haven't run into too many people. Other than veteran transplant patients that have any idea what's coming. And I I still run into people that um you know I I'm in pretty good shape. I'm not some super athlete or nothing like that, but I can, you know, I can generally hold my own when it comes to doing things and, and the amount of people that think that um oh, sit down, we'll take care of this. And I'm like, dude, I'm in better shape than you are. Maybe you should sit down and and, and we'll we'll carry on with this transplant information and I'm I'm assuming it's the same with cancer I, you know I think more people have cancer so there's probably more information about cancer but I am almost certain that there are a lot of kids out there that are dealing with cancer issues with their parents or heaven forbid themselves these young kids with cancer breaks my heart um, anybody with cancer breaks my heart, but uh, I mean, but anyway, I digress. So when you're, when you're dealing with these issues, everybody is trying to do their best. That's all we can ask. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and it's not, um, like when I say that it's not a negative thing either, but, um, they, some people just don't understand yep. the lengths are the things that are happening so they, they can do their absolute best and it it helps as much as it can help but then sometimes you need the resources that are a little bit more pinpointed to your situation and like everyone saying nice things like oh I really hope that your dad gets better that helps every single time someone says that it helps it makes your heart feel better it may it eases a little bit of pain every time someone says that. But sometimes there's a little there's deeper things that you need to talk about that, you know, teachers at school can't talk to you about, or even the um the guidance counselors can't help you with. And that's when you really need to talk to somebody who's kinda gone through the same thing as you have. Because even growing up I never met anyone other than um uh two girls I played soccer with their dad had cancer i think it might have been in his brain um but he he's fine now um and maybe a few other kids that had parents who um had like heart attacks and stuff like that but no one ever went through the same thing that i did and i i never really had um the resources to find somebody who had so yeah
0: and here we are so we're a resource like i said bring it up let's talk about it um you know, we're, we're gonna do everything we can. We're not doctors, we're not psychologists or anything else, but um, we've been down the road, we've walked the line and we'll do whatever we can to, uh, to add in our two cents worth to try and, you know, get you through a tough spot or, or maybe give you some ideas. Uh, my thing has always been hit everything head on, hit it as hard as you can, do whatever you can, work as hard as you can, and chances are, in the end, you do it your way. So if you don't make it, you died your way. If you do make it, regardless if you make it or you don't make it, you're still leaving that example for your kids and everybody else that you know what you did everything in your power. I know it's tough. I know it's hard, but I think when it comes to the kids, I think that's another thing that's really important is that you know we give them these examples. There's nothing, there's nothing in life for free. Uh, regardless of what other people are thinking that there should be or they shouldn't be there is nothing in life for free and and when things get tough we've we're the example and, and we need to teach our kids by example that that we're tough my mom did it for me so I've, i hope I've done it for my kids and my wife and, and and everybody else that's involved so let's um let's call it a day at that so I think what you know just to, to revisit this a bit here I think we covered the, you know, some of the basic emotions, like I said, if, if anybody gets this podcast and they want to ask me questions, leave me questions. Um, I know that, uh, I've had uh, a couple people reach out, um, I know, and, and ask certain questions and we're going to get to those, but in the end, you know, with what we've talked about today, there's a lot of crazy things that are, that are going to come your way and there's going to be the ups and downs do your best to stick together and do your best to help each other out there's no book though for the parents you do the best you can my wife was fantastic and that's all we can do Um, you're going to make a whole bunch of mistakes but in the end so what you you can't fix them you're only human human under massive amount of stress you're kind of waiting on the generosity of somebody else too you know if you're waiting for a kidney or a liver blood transfusion it's it's all on somebody else lungs heart you have no control over it you don't know what the ending is Sometimes you gotta lie to your kids. So be it. None of them, none of the little white lies we told them have come back to, to bite us in the butt. But it's what we had to do at the time. You know. We love you guys. And uh
1: hope everyone has a very wonderful day and a really good weekend.
0: Stay out of a little bit of trouble. If you're a transplant patient, get in as much trouble as you possibly can and let everybody else clean it up for you, though.
1: Eat some
0: ice cream and think of me while you do it. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with ice cream. Let's get some exercise in today, everybody. Let's um, let's bust a hump. Let's let's get out there and let's get tired and let's get sweaty and let's uh, you know do whatever we can. If you took two steps yesterday, here's the two and a half or three steps today. If you had squatted four hundred pounds yesterday, here's the squatting four hundred and two pounds. If you're just trying to get one foot on the floor to get out of bed. All the power to you. I hope you have full success with it. And um, you know, you're you're a miracle walking. Don't forget that. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, how far you've progressed, maybe you've digressed, maybe you're, you're still the same. It doesn't matter. You're still a miracle. So keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. Challenge yourself. You're battling with yourself. You know, your, your donor's going to help you. We're going to help you. Everybody's going to help you. And uh, God bless you. And, and thanks so much for for joining us today. Have a great day.